Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by Baker Hughes in London in May 2019, where our colleague Mark sat down with Taylor Shin, Vice President for Ventures and Growth at Baker Hughes. During the discussion, Taylor explains how open innovation, especially through collaboration and partnership, can be beneficial to innovation strategy. Taylor also addresses how to build the right tools for innovation and emphasizes the importance of empowering and rewarding talent within the company. Finally, Taylor discusses how external projects can be translated back into the core. We have uh, Taylor Shin with us here today, who's just been up to, uh, to give a presentation. He's the VP and, uh, of Ventures and Growth at uh, Baker Hughes. Could you just um, briefly start off this interview by describing what you do and how your role plays into the larger innovation framework? Sure. Thank you. And thanks to the Innovation Roundtable for hosting this. Um, you know, so as far as, as our role within our corporation, you know, large global corporations, 60,000 plus employees. And so for us, where we have a really diverse product line, uh, you know, kind of the only full stream industrial energy company, how we look at new growth markets, new technology, new innovation, uh, new areas to invest is, is really a critical piece of our, our company's future. And so our role in the team that, that uh, I represent really connected directly to the CTO and the CMO of our company. And we're looking at not only new ways to deploy uh, technology, new partners to bring in from an innovation perspective, but importantly, how do we commercialize this technology and really accelerate it for what it's ultimately do is drive value to shareholders. So um, kind of your, your little bit of a atypical venture capital strategy where we inverted that model, uh, but ultimately it's, it's how we really change the way we operate as a company. And this workshop day is all about the building a culture of innovation and customer centricity. Uh, you spoke a bit about in your presentation about the different pillars in which you build a culture of innovation. One of the pillars, and you just mentioned as well now, is uh, going into new partnerships and so on. How do you, in a large company, which has very much been, in many large companies at least, ingrained in them that it's a technology push focus, how do you move from that kind of not invented here syndrome to a proudly found elsewhere um, culture and build these partnerships? Great question. So, multiple ways. Um, some of it is what we do more of, and some of it is what we do less of. Um, never will we imply that you know IP and patents are not important, uh, but you will see less of, of us focusing on, on that as a barometer of success of how many patents we filed this year. I mean, obviously, that's a defensive strategy we always need, but rather showing commercial success in the technology, just juxtaposing those two. Uh, how you show commercial success is what, you know, what matters to your investors and your shareholders. Uh, but ultimately, it's making sure that we are driving the priorities and driving what we what we put value and deep importance on. Um, for us to, to kind of, you know, the protectionism that's natural of companies to say, don't give up an inch of IP ground, make sure, you know, we hammer away the legal agreement where we own all the value. That's just, that's problematic because uh, you have such a, a faster model working all around you in these smaller startups. And so for us, it's how you find value. Always know at the core what is a what's the future strategy of our company and where do we really want to always keep a beachhead. But two, realize that sometimes to sacrifice some of the upside is to move faster. And you know it's better to have half the upside be realistic uh, than none of the upside be unrealistic because it never happened because it moves too slow. So it's a little bit of the comfort and the balance you have to have in decision making, but also structure. Yeah, 
And um, at multiple of our events, we focus on, on this uh, notion of open innovation and ecosystems. And there's so many different partners to partner up with in this space. Um, we hear quite a bit about startup collaboration, you deal with the corporate mentoring and so on. Um, could you just briefly go through the different partnerships that you enter in your Sure. Um, big and small. So I think uh, what's important is what's the right one. And um, a lot of times, you know, I you know, we, we by no means figured it out. We're, we're perfect using we do, but you know, often people chase partnerships that they see a headline to say, you know, our company partners with X and it's incredible big men. Um, those are always great, and those, you know, given the size and scope of our business, we should be pursuing those. But sometimes the smallest partner is the best, um, and that's because a they're they may fit a need you have, but b um, they're much more inclined to as you work further. They they view us as a great partner because of the scale of the the size, we view them as a great partner because they're obviously fitting the gap or complementing something we need. Um, so for partnership selection, heading the digital side, uh, and this is just specific for our company, we're very good at uh, products and services that enable our customers to be better and, and reduce costs and do things more productively. Um, we'll never be a predominant company that says, look, we're going to go compete with the likes of Googles and Microsofts and Amazon's the fabulous partners though. Uh, but how do we continue to know what we're good at it and, and really focus in that and realize that there's a lot of fluidity to how we continue to evolve the portfolio, which is, to me, that is that is what's critical for the next 20 years of our company is how do you continue to evolve and not just say, what, what we've been doing the last 20 years is the way it's going to be. Yeah. And in terms of the, the small the startups, uh, now you specifically deal with a bit of corporate mentoring in your, uh, in your role. Um, one interesting question that goes again across multiple of our, of our events regarding startups is when to collaborate, mm -hmm. when to invest, and when to completely acquire. Do you have any thoughts in terms of those three questions? When will be best to do which one? Um, more of a personal opinion and, and kind of a, a corporate opinion just for our, our position, but um, there's so many great conferences, and I'm, I'm not saying this just because we're at Innovation Roundtable, there's just so many great conferences where you get exposure to fast startups and technology that the days of having to invest to kind of peek under the hood and, and see what tech is happening, there's always benefit in understanding maybe how good the tech is, but in a lot of cases, the exposure that big companies can continue to watch, you have access to that without having to invest in our opinion. Uh, when to invest, it's, it's always, you know, we're making our decisions primarily on the capital returns. Uh, and so it's, you know, we want to invest when we know it's, we're gonna actually do something with that capital. It's not a, a loss leader. Uh, but rather, what's important for us is to, uh, we've seen great examples on, you know, Nike had a great example in the space of, of uh, investing in new solutions, in this case materials, uh, relevant to, to Nike, and then equally launched a product with that company. And so it's kind of the double down effect of, I'm going to invest in something, but I'm going to partner with it as well. And so for uh, so that way, you know, it's, it's a, a mutual benefit, but also doubles down your investment. And so we like to invest when we see that opportunity that, okay, this fits nicely into something we're already going to be taking corporate capital and growing organically. And so acquiring companies, I mean, that's just, if, you, if it's easy to, to understand, companies like our size, they like the lower risk, even if it's a put a premium on the price tag because of all that risk is, is baked out of it, a lot of it is. Um, so for us, acquisition is always something we're, we're going into. Uh, sometimes you don't need to acquire, depending upon that, but we, if, you know, if we play our cards right, we're going to be strategically positioned to be the best to acquire, and that partner should should also agree. But um, I think a lot of it, our, our thesis is how do we continue to invest, but also invest in the partnerships that it's efficient use of our capital, but also a strategic use. Yeah. 
So moving on from this uh, open innovation focus to, um, to another component you mentioned in your presentation uh, regarding team structure. Uh, how do you uh, best go about in a large corporation building the right teams for innovation? So we hear quite a bit about multidisciplinary teams. Um, is there any other focus that you really rely on to, to nurture and, and build creativity? Um, I would say you know the where we've erred in the past that we're trying to avoid is, is putting people in boxes, and, and I say that in the sense of you know some of our best solutions from an innovation perspective were from skill sets that would have, you never predicted it, just thinking through, okay, the resume said this, and they must think this way or be able to apply their skill sets. And, and that's what's been such a rewarding thing is seeing really diverse people with diverse backgrounds and, and educations really be disruptive. And so for us, the way, having seen that, we try to enlarge it to more of a resource pool where um, you're structured still in a, a traditional HR format, but it allows the access and the cross uh, cross-disciplinary deployment of the people to be to be pretty easy. Um, so we may have a top computer science team member in Saudi Arabia and a top um, you know geophysicist in the states. How they can collaborate, obviously through technology virtually today, is important. But it's also making sure that we we are okay as a company saying these people in remote parts of the world can still work on a project together, and that's okay, knowing that ultimately it's the outcome that matters, not how how it gets developed. Um, so structure-wise, uh, we've done some things on the engineering. You really can't escape good quality engineering and the innovation process. I mean, we talk about speed, and that's important, but you also got to be sure what you're putting out in the field is, is safe and, and high quality. Um, and so there's some ways we've streamlined that and tried to put, put more of advisory roles into place uh, than just your rigid, kind of hardline, uh, you know, mass manufacturing engineering in the past. Um, but a lot of it is just making sure there's the biggest thing for us is transparency of decisions being made, um, how people can see uh, that way there's not redundancy in the big world. And so really the, the way you use communication tools to really make that be a transparent process really drives the way that people work. And so as long as people realize that what they're doing is not redundant to something else around the world and what they're doing is being counted on by everybody else, it organically not going to meet the goal. And in this whole spectrum of, of people and teams, you also mentioned uh, that there's a need to empower talent in your organization. So when, when you hear about talent and, and, and creating innovation, you often hear that there's a need for, especially amongst maybe the millennial workforce, there's a need for autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess you also more and more hear that autonomy doesn't do it alone. You also need structure under that autonomy. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there a way in which you empower talent in the best possible way? Um, I would just say, from the perspective of empowering talent, um, you know, at the basic core, every every individual wants to have an impact, right? That's that's you know, it's what drives people is to, to make a difference. Uh, that is different ways. You know, some people are wired where they want to um, be the contributor on something, and, and that's what drives them. Others want to just be a, a, a cog in a wheel or spoken wheel to help kind of drive the greater good of the collective. Um, really finding out what, what's worked for us is just to um, give them enough empowerment where you're not just setting loose and saying go do this because they, they need some direction, but kind of empowerment with guidance. Um, you know, what in our opinion, what's failed in the past is when you try to micromanage and put the team members in such a step-by-step -step box that they really, they feel almost robotic in it. And that's not healthy for them, their careers, but to your point about kind of the younger generation, uh, you know, whatever age group, millennial, generation ZXY, all of the others, 
I think it comes down to just realizing that the work I'm doing today and the work I'm doing tomorrow is going to be not done in vain. It's going to be you know, part of a continuation of I'm investing my energies in my company. The company's going to reward me for that, but also just that it's it's not redundant. And I think the worst thing for innovation technology development is we put our blood, sweat, tears into something and then turn around and find someone else around the world who's doing the exact same thing and it was a waste and then you've, you've lost culture. So ensuring there's transparency, really that drives empowerment marketing. And in the, when you spoke about empowering talent, you mentioned that you conduct training in, for example, AI and ML and so on. Um, regarding these emerging technologies, what, how do you find your focus in this space? Because there's so much hype and so much buzz going on in terms of we have events in blockchain and quantum computing. How do you specifically, no doubt, now AI is a big one, but uh, how do you specifically find out which emerging technology you want to focus on, especially in terms of training uh, these talents? Yeah, um, it's great. I, in this uh, uh, small group run that we just did, uh, I wrote down two other opportunities. So, I mean, you're never done looking. You're always, you're always got to be open to, to those new opportunities. A good example we use uh, in our company is NVIDIA's Deep Learning Institute. Um, it, the best way to explain it is if you're, you're no company's ever going to truly be able to just start over with all the employees and be able to just go pluck the best talent that's coming out with digital degrees. It's how do you really give them the foundational understanding for the digital space. So you could take a mechanical engineer and, and teach them the principles of machine learning and then therefore deep learning. And it gives them an understanding to think differently train them on a couple of foundational tool sets and we're talking you know three or four days worth of training that really more than anything expands the way they view technology kind of expands their horizon to use a uh, another phrase and so i think for us it's we'll never be able to just go create a phd in computer science however how we teach our very talented uh technical group today here are some things to be thinking differently here is a a platform or uh, GPU and TPU processing that allows you to really change the way you operate at the edge, in one example. And so for us, it is really focusing um, our team members and just helping them be expanded. And then tomorrow, there'll be a better tech training seminar than what we did yesterday, yet making sure we're always open to, to, to that. And it's, I think you're trying to change the perception that, you know, continue to progress in your professional education. I must go get an MBA or I must go get a master's degree, those are, those are great, not to disparage those, but sometimes a, a one-week training can really be a differentiator because it, it kind of creates a discipleship in your organization of teaching new ways of problem-solving, teaching new ways of applying that. And another thing you mentioned was this um, nurturing and an entrepreneurial focus. One thing uh, we have quite a bit at our events is, um, is how to create a disruptive um, innovation mindset within large corporations. And oftentimes we speak about creating this very um, entrepreneurial mindset uh, across business units. And one thing we often find is that there are um, different views in terms of should these uh, units be isolated from the core business or should they be integrated? And there's often spoken about advantages and disadvantages of each. Mm -hmm. Have you got any thoughts in terms of whether to separate and you know, entrepreneurial, maybe disruptive thinking team from the core business um, who can then incubate these uh, these solutions and potentially transfer them back into the core organization mm -hmm. or spin them out um, or whether it's better to do that inside the core yeah that there lies uh, mark the the challenge always is going to be what's the right pathway both they both have their merits 
Uh, I think just kind of summarizing it, kind of some, some discussion we just had at the, the industry panel. Um, it's it, it all starts with executive leadership. So for this for that type of culture change to work in a big company, you've got to have the right executive leaders that understand it and, and protect it in a sense. Uh, we we're trying always to, to bring in fresh perspectives. So we had a, an entrepreneur speak to uh, one of our teams in the states. Oh, maybe a year ago or six months ago. Uh, I'm going to use his name, but uh, he was a, he missed out on Uber. He was going to be an uh, early, early, early investor in Uber, and he, he declined. And it was you know, he, you know, thousands of percent return you know, on his investment. And the reason he did this, and I thought this was critical when he told our team, the reason that he, at the time, uh, decided no is he just didn't see enough commercial growth in the numbers, meaning you know, week over week or month over month growth in their revenue for the model. He said, had he, had he really paid attention to looking at the right thing, he would have looked at users per day they were adding, which was not a wasn't a direct corollary to the revenue and what you know linear meant. Yet, what he would seen is that you know the users per day that they're adding to the platform was growing pretty exponentially. And while it hadn't transferred into a ridiculous uh, growth in the revenue, his point was sometimes you're looking at the wrong thing. You should be in some cases looking at traction versus dollars. And so in a big company where obviously the, the revenue and the returns on investment are obviously the end goal, sometimes things need to be nurtured where you're protecting, you're watching traction take over before you really see it, it, it grow from a dollars and cents side. So going back to the structure of insulate or not, you got to have good support to say, we are going to invest in this area and it is okay if six months pass and we've, uh, it's not okay if we make poor decisions that don't operate, but there's going to be a different adoption rate than maybe some of the other, other opportunities. So that's great. But two, you know, in, in a lot of cases, what gets, what's great about big companies is also the, the bad part. Right? So what's great about our company is we're large, we have all the, the scale in the world, and we've got a lot of support and a lot of technology in many diverse uh, industries. What's problematic is when you start to negotiate legal agreements or uh, IT structuring or uh, HR structuring or onboarding processes for employees, that's what dramatically slows things down. And it's all well intended because it's intended to protect the company in most cases or protected to do things in a way that your competitors and the startups, they don't, they don't have that, but also they, they don't benefit from it. So there's a balance where you need to, you need to compartmentalize some, some decisions, uh, but you also need to be sure that you also have a, a peers in those internal functions that realize, okay, what this particular group is trying to do is to develop a better process and not to uh, circumvent risk or compliance, but rather to help kind of embed partners in those functions. And I think that's a way that you could make the whole integration thing much easier while you still always want to keep things insulated in, in their starting point. So it's a balance, but it really starts with executive leadership. And another thing you, you said in your presentation was, was truly recognizing value in the um, product developments and innovations that you create. How, uh, because now we're in this uh, workshop there talking about customer centricity and uh, oftentimes we hear about in that space uh, design thinking and lean startup. Um, how do you go about actually figuring out does, does what we're working on at the moment, does that essentially create value? Do you use any sort of methodologies for that? And also in terms of recognizing value and any KPIs? Mm-hmm. Um, what is an easy kind of culture killer in innovation is just is, is not impacting the balance sheet. Positive way because you always see as a cost center and you'll always be you know, viewed upon in making decisions. That's not a good investment. So, 
what we try to do is uh, is really what's a return on capital. So you know, you'll make a decision, you'll invest in certain technologies, and you need to be able to say, um, you know, the way we've aired in the past is, is talking about big numbers, like it's a two million dollar market, it's a five hundred million dollar region, or you know, those aren't real dollars. I mean, yes, that's real, that's factual, but you're not going to see a million dollar investment translate to a million dollar market anytime soon, right? And so you're thinking, okay, how do I do 2x, 3x, 4x return on my capital? So for us, really getting down to a very simple simple view is, if I invest, invest X, what, what return am I getting Y in the next two or three years, right? How does this immediately impact? And so realizing you're gonna invest in a portfolio approach and not all of them are gonna win, but, but you wanna show, I continue to, to can correlate this investment, this technology to commercial gains in the company. It may be a new contract with the customer, it may be a new product launching, but always making sure what your total investment is for your collective uh, R&D efforts has a two or three X multiple in the very short term, one year, two years, three years, is, is important to show that this is worthy of future investment. And then the rest of the, we made up this percentage of billion dollar market. That's great, but the realistic piece that's going to be a decade of, of growth. And so, uh, making you simplify for team members, but also put a quantifiable measure on it. That's the only way to do because you can't talk your way out of out of anything. It's got to be competitive numbers. Yeah. So really communicating and showcasing those high product right. is a is a integral part of it. Um, I started off with a broad question, and I want to end off the interview with quite a broad question as well. Uh, we tend to ask all the interviewees that we sure. have in there. Um, in your current role um, in the innovation space, what would you consider the biggest lesson learned you've had um, that you potentially would have known, wanted to know uh, when you entered that given position? Oh, you know, there's, there's a lot. I don't have time for that uh, in the interview. But, you know, I think uh, overall, you know, it's, it's, it's more. Um, I'm an optimist by nature, so I, I kind of go into things thinking uh, that the, the best will come. But ultimately, I think the uh, the lesson learned is how uh, well intended pushback becomes in, in big companies. You know, everyone is trying to do what's right, but at times the speed that you really need as a to be successful uh, is just you're going to be you're going to be continually challenged with the big corporate environment. It's there for a reason. It's well intended. Uh, but I think that is the a little bit of the, the timing, the speed. You know, what I thought could take six months to eighteen months, right? Or it could, and, and there's ways we learn from that. So if we did it again, we can take a little bit mixing between take maybe ten months. But uh, at the same time, like it's it's truly appreciated. Okay, what's where they're going to be uh, roadblocks and how we we miss those. But there's a lot more learning on a daily basis. We had a, a technology that we were ahead of a lot of peers. Um, you know that. Six months ago, we'd say there's no one out there in the market with it. Um, shows you the speed of startups. Six months later, there's a startup that popped up that's getting close to catching up. And it's, it's we don't uh, continue to, to, I think we do take a pretty humble view uh, as a company, but just be, have the humility to look around and say, look, we could get flanked by this small company tomorrow. How we continue to keep that and keep moving with that speed because it's easy to come as a fallback and say, okay, good is good enough where we've got to be head on the swivel. Uh, I think our learning is just how important that is. That's one key piece of just don't underestimate the speed of the startup. And uh, same with that, I want to thank you very much for participating in this interview. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. 
The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners in large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.